Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. Welcome to another edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the Tremor Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Today, live in studio, I have Sheridan Taylor. Hey, brother. How you doing, brother, man? Hey, man. Uh, really excited to have him on because it is so important that we share our voices and we share our voices with each other. And he's done exactly that. So Sheridan and I share some heritage together. Uh, we're both uh, three VP guys. And for anybody that doesn't know what that means, we both served in the 3rd Battalion, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. So the PPCLI, our regiment, and he served in, in both the English-speaking regiments, but the PPCLI is Light Infantry. And anybody that knows what the infantry is, that means... It's a bag drive. <laughs> uh, light infantry means it's all on your back and you're not mechanized. So you're, you're carrying more kit. And then the third battalion is extra, extra light, <laughs> ultra light um, battalion. And they were jump related in my day. And in Sheridan's day, uh, they had a jump company. And uh, so he's a jumper too. Also served with the Royal Canadian Regiment. <coughs> so of course we have a rivalry between the two and uh he's the first to tell you that patricia's are way better way better than the royals right right sheridan i'm gonna go with one way one way one way better not way way but way better oh just one way okay i'm with you and of course to all my royal brothers yeah, i'm fucking kidding though. I love you guys. Uh, can't you know. go back to Ontario now. Yeah, I <laughs> can't, can't. That's right. Uh, our our um, PPCLI is a Western unit. Uh, we got a couple of battalions in Edmonton and, and one uh, just outside of uh, Brandon, Manitoba, in Shiloh. And uh, the Royals are all east from New Brunswick to uh, Ontario. And that is sort of a, a rundown of our regiments for those that have absolutely no idea. <laughs> And I'm going to caution Sheridan too. When we, we're going to slip into acronyms, we we know we are. Yeah. So when we do, if you don't catch yourself and explain the acronym, I'm going to catch you and go, "Hey, hey, time out, fucker!" Right. And uh, I'll explain those acronyms, and away we go. But um, yeah, let's start with uh, why the hell did you join the army, man? I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> like, um, I'm told that uh, when I was like four years old, my aunt tells me that uh, I was swinging on some some gate, and she was asking what I was going to do with my life, and I said I was going to be a soldier and then go be a cop after that. So I, that's probably just it's in the genes, man. I'm I'm the fourth and maybe the fifth generation to serve. My father's a veteran. His father, his father, my great grandfather served in both world wars because he didn't get enough action the first time. Like. Just, <laughs> We just can't get enough trauma and cortisol in my family. And then on my mom's side, uh, same thing. Um, her father and 
his brothers and uh, basically every male in my family, as far back as we can track it, who could pass the physical, stand up, you know, see lightning, hear thunder, enlisted. It's just what we've always done. <laughs> That's uh, very different than my family, for sure. I'm the only one of this generation uh, and the only one, uh, one generation back who's ever served. And then you'd have to go to my grandparents. And, of course, they're all World War II guys, right? Yeah. Um, we're not sure about the story of my, my granddad on my dad's, or my mom's side, sorry. We know about my dad. He was, he was there for the whole hitch, six years in World War II. And um, the whole, so he comes, comes back home after leaving his two-year-old, and he's got an eight-year-old. Yeah, right. Hey, son, <laughs> I guess you grew. <laughs> but, uh, on the other side, though, total mystery. Um, I've heard stories, and we don't know, but uh, it could be that he was in both the Boer War and World War One, and then World War Two. In, um, uh, but he stayed in country for World War Two because he was too old. So uh, maybe that's true. We don't know. Uh, there's there's all kinds of stories. I'm gonna have to pull the history of them at some point. Uh, have you ever done that? Have you ever pulled the history on anybody? No. It's like National Ar- Archives or something. No, I don't. I don't know how to do that. Uh... I got force fed enough as it was growing up, like great grandpa did this and grandpa did that. And so I don't, uh, I don't really feel the need. And well, on my father's side, um, my mother's side, my, uh, my grandfather never spoke of, of World War, his, his war experiences. He never yeah, spoke of the, the service. That's the norm, right? Um, he refused to go back to Europe. Um, yeah, de- I get that. Yeah. Decades later. And in fact, um, he had a major flashback on his death, but I was in Bosnia, of course. Oh, uh, what year? Uh, well, that would have been 98. Okay, so it was still kind of fresh. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he uh, he was on his deathbed. It was uh, natural causes, old age. Um, and something about being back in the hospital, um, the sound of the nurse's shoes. He, he mentioned my wife was there for this. my first wife um, yeah. was there for that brought him back he was wounded on Normandy Beach uh, he, of course he carried the bullet wounds to his his dying day and he flashed back I guess and my, my wife said that he uh, he sat bolt upright and he reached out and he grabbed at whoever was there and he said who's on the gun and everyone was just uh and uh Dixie, my first wife, had been an army wife long enough that she leaned forward and she just said, Smitty's got it. Because there's always a Smitty. There's always one somewhere. Right? And yeah, he, uh, he just he relaxed. He laid back down. And uh, that was almost the last words he ever spoke. Christ. Yeah. People think the sacrifice on Remembrance Day is just the fallen. And I got a real problem with that. Mm-hmm. Because there's uh, those that wish they were fallen every day for the rest of their life. Right. You know. Um, Carry that all the time, man. You know, I could I could break down balling right now thinking about. Yeah, I see it, man. Men who should be here. So, yeah, he carried that. So did my, uh, my father's father. He had uh, four tanks blown out from under him. So how many men, I don't know, how many of his brothers... Oh, he uh, he watched disintegrate or die in a horror. Like, no, you're right. It's not just the fallen. It's those who who wish they'd fallen. It's when I meet a young guy and uh, they say, I'm 22 or I'm 23. Then I think about the people that died at that age. 
you know, and uh, it, that always kind of hits me. Or I think I think back to between because I only got one tour. I was in Croatia in '94. Oh, wow. this, 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 <laughs> everybody that knows always does that when I tell them what year I was there. <laughs> yeah, it was the summer tour. Um, so the the reason he just gasped is. Uh, because he knows, and uh, the war was was from uh, about ninety two to ninety five, and I was there in the middle of it, a year after Medak. At uh, so it was it was still an active place back then. But when I meet somebody of that age, or I think back to, oh my God, how much life I've had between then and now, and then the ones that didn't live through it, or two years later, I was in my uh, uh, parents' kitchen. And I heard the name Chris Jalapena on the TV. And I went, whoa, shut up. You know, uh, of course, they weren't shutting up because they they don't know. And I was just, just shut the fuck up. I got to hear this. And Chris had died. Uh, he went over again. He was on my tour. Great big, um, I think he was a Ukrainian farm boy type, right? Uh, when we were filling sandbags, he'd have like four in each hand kind of thing. Just ridiculous. And... Um, not the brightest guy, but everybody loved him. And he was just a big, dumb, strong, nice guy, you know. And uh, on in, in 96, he went over again, and his carrier rolled over and crushed his pumpkin. So it's like, ah, oh, fuck. That was a good dude, you know. And uh, so I was obviously meant to because that tv's always on mm-hmm. in my parents kitchen always on blaring the news right blaring the bullshit all the time so i was meant to be there at that time so i could hear that name being said otherwise i wouldn't have found out for who knows yeah, year, maybe ever. years there's no social media in 96 right so it takes a while uh, before you run it because i got out in 95 so yeah it would have taken a while before somebody would have said hey did you hear what happened to chris wouldn't have known uh, for me, it's uh, meeting young people every once in a while. I'll be like, "You're the same age as mm-hmm. that guy. That guy's baby. Like you could be the son of that man. You could be right. Like, um, not to say specific names, but yeah. Like, I remember there were a couple times where um, I was rear party towards the last two years of or year and a bit of my uh, my career." And guys are going over, and their wives are coming in to send parcels and, and stuff, and, to, and I'd be holding somebody's baby. Sometimes, well, two times, I held that baby, and he never did again. Oh, Christ. Yeah, so I think about sometimes, I try not to too often, but once in a while, just to honor them. Yeah. You know, how old are you, son? You know, 22, 23, whatever. Yeah, Jesus, you could be blank son right now. Well, that brings us to the families, right? Like, we we talk about the soldiers all the time, but uh, I try to remember talking about the families on this show, but I know I'm failing. I know I'm not doing it enough. And Christ Almighty, like what the families go through. Horrifying. (laughs) What my parents went through when I came back. Like, I was a fucking soup sandwich. Like, I was a mess. Yeah. And um, didn't know it. 
because it's, you know, most of the other guys are a mess too. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I was a high flyer though. I definitely stood out from the crowd for being, being a mess. I was getting in bar fights like you can't believe and uh, like it was bad. And, um, uh, but after I got out, I, I went to college, so I stayed at my parents' place. Well, God, all, God bless them. You know, they're going straight to heaven for having me in the house for a couple of years. With that transition from the war to post-secondary education, like that's... Oh, dude. Man. Well, I was a high flyer too, right? So, like, we all know that one guy that's the high flyer, the, the extra hothead, like more than, more than the rest, and that was me. And uh, so going to college, motherfucker... Like, oh, it was not good. And um, I won the award. So it was just a two-year college program, uh, Police and Security. And at, at the graduation, I won the award for craziest grad award. You know, it's like, well, that's not something that you want to get uh, if you're trying to be a cop. Hey, let's get the craziest one they got, you know. Because um, I still was in junior ranks mode, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, I I couldn't adapt to my environment. I didn't get it. I didn't understand what these people were. And uh, so I got along with a couple of guys. One of them was an Israeli veteran. That was easy, right? right? That was easy. We got along just fine. But I didn't see myself as a war veteran either, right? Because uh, I was a UN peacekeeping mission. Peacekeeping. And so we didn't see it as a combat role. It fucking was a combat role. Yeah, right <laughs> like, as, as I look back all these years later, it's like, oh, yeah, it's totally a combat 100%. role. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, what you guys went through. And and then there's the extra trauma gets dumped on on you guys from that, those, that era, right, where the basic fundamental human right of self-defense was taken from you. Yeah. The, so what Sheridan's talking about is the rules of engagement. Um, on a UN peacekeeping mission, both uh, arms and one leg is tied behind your back, and you got to wait till they shoot at you a lot, a lot be- before you maybe shoot back. You know, it's like, do I duck? Do I return fire? Like, what the hell do I do here? You know, and what do I do about the horrible thing I'm I'm having to per- to stand back and observe happening? How do I? I'm not allowed to stop that. Yeah, the, right? a, a lot of the guys had to go through that. I mean. I don't do a lot of war porn on the show, no, so I'm about to tell some. Okay. Uh, if anybody uh, is sensitive to that, uh, turn it off right now. But I know people that uh, were at MEDAC one year before I was there. And, uh, I mean, they saw kids on fire, man. Yeah, right. Like, like They saw children and women running as they're on fire, screaming. And, and not do anything about that. They couldn't do shit all about it. That's That's a level of moral injury that's impossible for anyone to fathom even if you've been experiencing it like as a human being we all have a certain level of desire to connect with other humans and well if you everyone's something audience members everybody if you something happens whether it's cool whether it's awesome whether it's awful something big occurs or somebody drops a small little 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 joke or something, and the first thing everybody present does is start making eye contact, looking around like, "Do you see that? What are you doing about this? How are you reacting?" I'm I'm like you know I'm I'm really scared right now. Is it, are you scared? You don't look scared. Why am I scared? I shouldn't be scared. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm wrong. I'm I'm flawed. I'm broken. I'm, I'm useless. And then it begins to pile on, right? So when we get to this position where something awful is happening, and we're not able or allowed to do something to help another human being in trouble. 
that's a that's a fundamental level of moral betrayal that's impossible to fathom and that that is what causes trauma no people can't get it uh some guy asked me once at a block party barbecue so what's war like i said you don't want to know <laughs> like you don't want to know the truth and if i told you you couldn't get it he goes well try me i said okay <laughs> I said, look around this block party. Now imagine this entire uh, uh, part of Okotoks, all of Cimarron. Every single one of them are dead, man, woman, and child, from babies to grandmas, and everything in between. And uh, and they're thrown in pits. Can you see it yet? Can you smell it, bud? Can you smell it is is the bigger thing. Yeah, that's a smell that's unbelievable. But, um, like, so you, of course you can't see it. No. Right? Which is why most of us don't talk about it. We, because you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. You can't, um, you can't explain it. And uh, you, it's not an experience that can be shared. You know, you can read it in a book written with the most talented writer on earth, and you still can't get it until you see it because you can't smell a book. Yeah. You know, you can smell, smell a picture though. <laughs> <laughs> I see a picture of a mod tent. I can smell that shit. All right. Now that dust and that, that moldy, that wonderful yeah. plasticky tarp. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I can smell it. I can smell the mod tent for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, the amygdala, right? Smell. Smell's a big one for us. That's why, you know, listeners or whoever, if you, you get, you get this reaction in your body this physiological response that occurs and then we don't know what to label it or name. We just know that our heart is racing and we're getting tunnel vision and I got this, uh, my hearing's getting narrower and I'm losing the sensation in my fingers. I can't use my fingers anymore. I'm, I'm, that's a fear response. Why am I having a fear response? What am I scared of? I don't know. Quite often, it's just the fact that there was a smell that's similar to a smell from our past because scent goes straight to the amygdala. Is that why that is? The other other four senses, uh, they're kind of shared between you know the uh, the rest of the limbic system, but scent goes straight to the amygdala. Right, hmm. it goes back to our time, you know, as as fur wearing, flint toting, um, Homo sapiens on on the plains of the Serengeti. You needed to be able to smell the big scary cat before it ate you, and what the rock is cooking, <laughs> and right so terrible i love it um so that, yeah so quite often i would find myself having this 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 response and i would be raging raging angry because i wouldn't allow myself to feel fear right i'm a boy i'm not allowed to have fear i can't feel fear fear means i'm weak and i'm a soldier on top of that so i can't i can't be scared that means i'm weak and i'm a corrections officer on top of that i can't be scared that means i'm weak fear means weakness so my brain would instantly transform that to rage, not anger. Because anger is useful. In, you know, anger is like a bullet. I can aim it, I can direct it, I can make it do what I want it to do. I want to hit that target. I'm angry. Bang, fix the problem. I'm not angry anymore. That's not, that's not what I was doing. Yeah. I was doing rage. Rage is a grenade. Rage so, doesn't care. So how long were you a grunt? Uh, I, was, I got in in uh, 95... And I was medicaled out in 2012. So, so what's that? So when you got in in 95, that's when you were a Patricia? No, I got in the RCR first. Royals I was, first. Yeah. Okay. Three RCR first. Um, 
went through uh, Saint Jean and then Meaford and then uh, to Petawawa. Okay, um, I got I tore a bunch of stuff from my legs in uh, in basic, so I got held back, uh, recoursed I think twice actually, and two courses went through, which worked out great for me personally because everyone else went to Gagetown and I went to Petawawa. Well, that is better. Yeah. yeah. Although, you know what? I like Gagetown. I uh, I dated a girl for, for, for about a year uh, in Fredericton. And uh, gorgeous area. I don't like the price of gas, though. That's a bit much. I don't understand how there are swamps on the sides of hills in Gagetown. That doesn't make sense to me. How, how does the water stay on the side of a hill? I don't get that. That's weird. <laughs> that's, that's defying the laws of physics. Only Gagetown, man. Yeah. And the Agent Orange, though. So you, you so you get to say you've been uh, been in Gagetown. You got to play with Agent Orange. Were you in Nom? Nope, Gagetown. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So um, so when when was the Patricia's then? Uh, Two thousand four. Uh, got off the plane <laughs> from uh, Roto Zero in Kabul. And uh, got on the plane and flew to Edmonton. So you're with uh, you're on Roto Zero with the Royals then. Yes. Okay. Yep. So Roto Zero with the Royals. Uh, did you go back over to Afghanistan? I went back in '08 with the uh, the Observer Mentor Liaison Team, the Western Omelet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I got back, and the, must have been a big difference. Huge difference, and just. So what I, Roto was the set? Was your second Roto? What roto is that? What was 08? And did they have different roto counts for for different ops or different areas? What the hell was the roto? Doesn't matter. Well, it's going to bug me now. Yeah, well, I know it's going to bug you, crazy. but... Uh, no, uh, let's see. I, was, I can see the hamsters on the wheel. I the smoke, smell the smoke? The smoke. Yeah, no. 08. What was the battle cruise roto? I don't remember. I was nuts, man. But I was with... Some of the finest. Were they both six-month rotos or were they the longer ones? No, they were both six-month rotos. rotos. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. Yeah, the nine-month ones and longer. And and the fucking Americans, those poor bastards. You know, uh, a year in Iraq, you know, uh, I mean, not all of them. Depends on the unit. But, yeah, some of them pulled a, a year back-to-back. Yeah. And when I did my tour, a, a lot of guys were, were doing their third already, you know, and uh, it Almost none of them were okay. It was just too much. Yeah. The ones that did the back-to-back, so a double tour, uh, then take a year off, and then do another tour, they they did not fare well. Mm-hmm. It was just too much. Yeah, we had uh, those some Marines that had uh, done, done a year in Iraq, and then um, I think it was a year back in, in America, and then they came to Afghanistan for a year. And uh, strangely enough, we thought... We, what was weird to us, they said that uh, Afghanistan was way worse than Iraq, way more dangerous, way scarier, mm. way... And not having experienced Iraq, we were all quite surprised. And we it depends, that, like, which tour of Iraq, with which unit, and what, were, enough. what was your uh, ROEs, what was your scope of operation? Like, the, there's... Uh, it's like people say, well, our tour wasn't so bad. Uh, were you standing beside me the whole fucking time? No, you weren't. You know, um, we had different experiences. And this is something I try to explain to people too, Sheridan, is that even if you were standing right beside me, we were fire team partners the whole time, right? Never, ever were, were we split up, even went on leave together. Even if that was the case, 
you didn't see it through my eyes. It's two different wars. It's two different wars. It's uh, you don't come from where I came from. You don't have the experiences I had as a child, as an adolescent. Right. Uh, any experience I had before you and I got as a, got assigned together as a fire team. You have no idea, no understanding of what I've been through from uh, the inside. And I'm also a, a hyper creative. So I need to be building something. I need to be creating something at all times. So this show really works for me. And so when we were at um, Kieran Slana, that was the, our first semi-permanent uh, camp. That we, It was a bombed out village, right? So a lot of the uh, right brain guys, and I'm whichever one, I think uh, left, left brain, then I'm right brain is creative, whatever it is. But the, the more analytic uh, types, it's just a bomb village. But that's not what I saw. No. I saw the people that used to live there. I saw what they must have gone through. These are homes and you saw them. These are homes. These are fa- these are displaced families. And uh, when we would do patrols um, uh, in and around, you know, and it, there's a lot of places you couldn't go because there's none of the clearance tape up, you know, so you don't know if the uh, engineers have cleared it or not. And probably didn't because there's no point to, right? Um, but... Uh, rubble like homes that are completely collapsing you see people's belongings in there i was seeing the shells come in and i was seeing uh the horror of my because because there was people there when when it, before they turned into rubble right then uh, some made it and some did not um so i would see the uh, the whole story or i would make up my own story right. in my head and i couldn't not do that right now that's not everybody. Other people are like, "Oh, look, a pile of rocks." Yeah, it's like, no, that's somebody's yeah, somebody. house, man. There's like a family and kids, and they were shit in their pants as the shells were coming in. There, there was joy there one moment, and then there was abject terror the next. Like this, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, somebody uh, saw their family die right here. Yeah, like I was uh, highly creative, highly inventive, and. Um, Sometimes something I'm going to say may come across as like vilifying my parents as though they're like, that's not, that's not the case. My parents are not bad people. My parents are, are doing the very, very best they could and they're still doing the very, very best they can. They're, they're, but, um, it's trauma, man. Generations upon generations. It actually changes your DNA. Oh yeah. And, um, so I was a very, very highly sensitive anxiety ridden child. I know this now. I didn't know that then. I just knew it was crazy, right? But um, so I had all that. Strangely enough, I felt most normal and calmest, and I still do, uh, in times of extreme stress. Yeah. Right? My wife's seen that. Yeah. My wife has seen that. That's when you turn on, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, it's my favorite. Right? Uh, yeah, it's so good. <sighs> Everything slows down. Oh, I'm grinning ear to ear. Right? I can. I got, okay, so everyone's freaking out. All right, I know what to do here. All right, so <laughs> time slows down. <laughs> it does. I can, I can calmly direct you to do this and you do that and I'm going to punch you in the face and we're going <laughs> to set this. Like, just, yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, we got married in um, France in, in 04. Yeah, or twenty fourteen in uh, two thousand fourteen, um, and uh, the the day before we we got married under the Eiffel Tower. Uh, nice. I, I like saying that out loud. It sounds so That's, good, doesn't it? That sounds amazing. It's so good. You got married under the Eiffel Tower. That's yeah, so cool. I'll show you a picture of it later. Oh. But um, uh, 
the, the day before that, there was an anti-Israel, pro-Hamas uh, uh, borderline riot. Like, it was a really rowdy parade. <laughs> and, and all the French cops, you know, being French, were shit in their pants. And I was wearing my dirty Patricia shirt. Nice. You know, it was so good. And, uh, and I'm just having fun. And my wife is shitting kittens. So I, I said, okay, honey, here's what we're going to do. You stand here. Uh, in the in this little doorway, and don't move. She's like, "Where are you going?" I I I cannot let this pass. I have to have my fun. So there's like the riot squad, you know, uh, with their rifles and everything else, and their eyes. These kids, eh, their eyes are all wide, and they're just shitting, and they're looking at me, looking at them because I'm grinning my face off, and they're like, "Who is this guy?" You know, <laughs> and, uh, pretty sure we want him on our side. Who's the crazy guy with the black skull T-shirt going on here? Right? <laughs> And I, I just walked right into the crowd, and the big, and I'm taking selfies with people. And hey, how's it going, everybody? I completely disagree with everything you're doing, but uh, I'm pro Israel. But uh, I, but this is fun. <laughs> yeah, everybody's, everybody's freaking out. Yeah, cortisol levels are maxed out. Adrenaline levels are maxed out. <sighs> oh, it was so good. Well, you could tell that it was, uh, it was right at the skinny edge of chaos. You know, um, like you could tell that it could pop off any moment because they were mad like they were screaming with anger in the microphones fuck israel those bastards and it's like ooh, that's a lot of hate you know this <laughs> could in there by the way like just yeah like, yeah like you ask you just asking them like have you ever actually have you ever actually been, been to the middle east and most of them like no yeah mm-hmm. but quick to judge though yeah. uh, we hate the haters but you're hating the that you do not see the irony here. Interesting, interesting. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but um, just an example of normal people shitting their pants. The cops were shitting their pants, and I was giggling my ass off. Yeah, like it was great. I like party. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, give me like I uh, when I, when I was medicaled out on the on when it was final. I had no way to evade or escape anymore. I was getting I was getting kicked out. Uh, the battalion couldn't hide me anymore. They hid me pretty good for a while. Oh, is that right? I got caught, and uh, I uh, I went into uh, corrections for the province of Alberta. Uh, that's a horrible mistake. Don't I would never do that. Um, which uh, which uh, prisons did you end up at? I worked uh, at the. Got to remember to into the microphone. Oh, sorry, I worked at the uh, the remand centers in Edmonton and Calgary, and uh, yeah, when. When everything's chaos, when everything's awful, everything's just horrific, and humans are suffering, and everyone's terrified. Oh, oh that's home. better. Okay, now <laughs> I'm good. Oh, God. Oh, this morning was awful. I was at home. Everything was safe and comfortable. I didn't know what to do with myself. Now I'm good. That's all right. You know, I think what it might be is that we're on all the time without realizing that we're on all the time. So when the environment uh, matches our level of awareness. It just there's it's like oh an old pair of shoes, you know. Yeah, it's that uh, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us who uh, go into these fields, um, and not just like the fighting fields, but paramedics too. People who go into these fields yeah. where where uh, it's it's high stress. A lot of us are drawn to it chemically, hormonally, uh, if you will. Um, of the various hormones our bodies release, uh, some of them are, are like cortisol. The one is specific. Uh, it's it's a stress hormone, and certain levels of it 
are good. We, we need certain, certain amount of stress in our life. We need to have that uh, to develop, not only to have a, a healthy, comfortable life. It can, however, get to a point where we seek cortisol rather than feel-good hormones such as oxytocin or serotonin or dopamine or endorphins. Yeah. Um, for instance, I was born into cortisol. My mother was highly stressed out during her pregnancy. Um, my father was uh, angry. His childhood was not conducive to having a calm demeanor. And so for me, cortisol is, is my feel-good hormone. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. It, I, I feel bad because too much cortisol makes us physically feel bad. But that's when I psychologically feel good, when I feel bad. Hmm. So there's a, a level of just a hormonal, that, that dump of cortisol and adrenaline for me when things are really, really fucking bad. That's when I just... There's something starts. about being the clear-headed one when everybody else is in a flap. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> there, uh, when my first wife kicked me out, I was uh, living in a support home for about three years. I was uh, a respite worker for a couple of developmentally uh, challenged dudes. So they needed help. And I was their helper. And I would look after them and just make sure they're okay and help them go grocery shopping and stuff like that. And well, rough area of town in Edmonton, uh, just off of uh, 80th Street, right across from uh, Coliseum Pizza. Anybody that knows the area, <laughs> they know. Uh, 80th Street, 118th Ave. But... Um, there's a couple of couple three murders all within a stone, literally a stone's throw. Like I could have hit somebody in the head with a rock. Uh, and one of them I saw, uh, it was, uh, uh, one of my guys that I look after, he's looking out the window. Oh, something's going on out there. And oh, what's going on, Richard? And, uh, and I look, I was like, Oh shit, there is something going on out there. There's a kerfuffle. And all I could see, cause there's a fence. So I could see the people, uh, huddled around, uh, what I assumed to be a person and I could, they're making like a kicking motion, but I can only see the tops of them because uh, of the fence. So I throw on my shoes, a boogie out there and son of a bitch, they're uh, laying the bit, uh, the boots to some lady that's, that, that's down. There's like half a dozen of them. And uh, so I just did what soldiers do and it worked. It was the weirdest thing. I yelled, Hey, everybody stop. And they just did. They just did. Take one step back. And they just did. Like, because they were in such a frenzy, and somehow that voice of authority just uh, snapped him out of it. And then I told him what it was going to happen. I'm coming in. I'm going to try to help her. Stay out of my way. And they just did. And then I start a uh, priority action approach kind of thing. And uh, uh, with eyes in the back of my head, mm. waiting for a bat or a knife to try to stick me in the back of the skull. And um, so I was still in, I'm like, I'm trying to help her at the same time as uh, I'm ready to fight any three of you at any second, you know. Um, but I just did it. And then it, when they uh, broke out of the haze, they're like, uh, we better get out of here. I think she's dead. <laughs> and they all took off. Um, but they also also wanted to watch the show, so they didn't go all that far. A cop comes, and I said, 
because uh, I know that every cop uh, has uh, nitrile gloves on their belt, right? Like, you got rubber gloves? Give them to me. And he, he just did. did. Just hands them to me. I, I glove up, and, uh, and then I start doing the thing. And then the fire truck comes on, and uh, I said, go back, get a collar. And he just did it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the team comes around and I'm and nobody's asking me to say hey we got it right they're, they're I'm part of the team all of a sudden they don't know me from Adam but you know what you're doing very clearly very and clearly you're providing direction yeah. clearly yeah. so all right and and I said uh, uh there was talk of a knife she might have stab wounds on it, it cut off her shirt looking for stab wounds right and uh and then we roll her onto the spine board and there's a new kid uh, across from me and he was trying to figure out, she started, cause she starts to come in conscious and she started to flail. And uh, so uh, the new kid, I'm going to tell you the whole story cause there's yeah. a, there, there's a, there's a punchline at the end. Um, so the, the, uh, uh, the new kid, uh, he couldn't figure out the straps and the guy at, at the, at the head of the patient, uh, he was just looking at me with this funny little grin. He's like, this guy totally knows what he's doing. And, uh, but he thought it was great, but I reached over, uh, I, I gave the kid like a second to figure it out, but we can't, we can't have no. her flailing. Right. And I was like, sorry, kid like this. And then I, uh, then I strapped her down and now the guy's gritted even more. And, uh, once we got to the point where I realized, Oh, they got this now. And he's like, no, no, you stay there. Okay. <laughs> so he didn't even want me to leave the team. And, uh, and then as she starts coming true, because I was first on site, I knew her name was Rita. And uh, from uh, people talking, I'm trying to keep her calm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and failing. But uh, anyway, uh, after it was all done, they, they threw, threw her on. And then I realized, oh, yeah, bad guys. I was in rescue mode. I totally forgot about the yeah, bad guys. Yeah. And, hey, um, cop. and he's like, Hey cop, come here. You see those guys between that? I was like, sorry, I was, I was distracted. <laughs> but uh, those guys over there, they're the ones that, uh, that, that did this tour. And then they're like, Oh fuck. <laughs> and then he goes across the road and I'm like, Oh God, he just went in between these houses solo. I can't cover a six, but then there's a couple of bicycle cops. So I call, Hey, you, bicycle cops, come here. Your buddy just went down here. Go cover a six. Okay. And they just did it. <laughs> so good. Everybody did everything I told them to do. And uh, nobody's got a clue, right? But they everything I told them to do, they just did. Um, uh, I don't know if they ever caught the bad guys, but uh, after it all settles, settles down, uh, uh, Rita's hauled away. She didn't make it, by the way. She died. Um, but, unfortunate. Yeah, so it's a bummer. But um, the cop came back, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm done here. And uh, as I'm about to walk away, he goes, who the fuck are you? <laughs> anyway, are, are you a cop, a paramedic? What's the deal? I said, veteran, and walked off. And, uh, and I realized after the fact, I was wearing a Captain America shirt the whole time. No! <laughs> Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> it was so good. That's amazing. I think they just listened to me because of the Captain America shirt. It really is Captain America. But that's something that we can do, especially with um, uh, an overseas tour, right? Because uh, we've been in the most extreme, ridiculous, holy shit, uh, mind areas, bu- getting shot at, bombs going off, like, holy fuck. Yeah. Right? So we've been to as holy fuck as holy fuck gets. We've done that. So everything else is kind of, eh, that's not so bad. 
Yeah, like when when guys can just roll over, pull their flak jacket over them because we're getting rocketed, and there's there no one gives a fuck. I just I I need to sleep. Yeah, when you can reach that level of almost nihilism, nothing else really begins to stress you out, or you'd think. I would. I've spent the last six years working on like intensive therapy, working on how to be normal, how to mm. how to not function at the extreme top level of the window. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Trying to learn how to. My dial goes to eleven. <laughs> trying to like, dial it down like, and be okay with dialing it down. I wasn't. I would have panic attacks changing my kids diapers mm. not not i would i would have my heart rate wouldn't go up at all in a a, a multiple uh of a fight with multiple offenders in in a jail that wouldn't bother me i would go tackle a, in a street what nothing would violence wouldn't bother me but have you figured out why things like changing the diapers does that yeah it's been a lot of work but we figured it out yeah it's the whole reason uh, I wrote the book, and the, the book opens up with me, uh, the first the first page is me having an anxiety attack. Um, mm-hmm. I was having these massive panic attacks and anxiety attacks because I'd, my trauma didn't, nothing to do with the wars. It was, it was all, it was all family life. It's cumulative, man. It just builds up and I couldn't. Yeah. My my greatest fear in life was always I keep walking away from this thing like my greatest fear in life is was turning my kid into me. Yeah. Him and him living the way I lived. Always always angry, always scared. So I was having just daily anxiety attacks that would come out as rage. And therefore I was creating the same fear ridden, anxiety ridden child that I was. It's called a life trap. Yeah. Uh, John Sr. Uh, runs uh, peer support for a good chunk of the province. And um, he talks about the life traps. They're basically self-fulfilling prophecies. Um, I call them negative feedback loops, you know. And the thing that you were worried about, let's say you're, you're worried about abandonment. So you push people away. Right. So to protect yourself, you push the, and then you cause your own problem. Yeah, and then they tell yourself the story that is that they're leaving you because you don't deserve to have them in your life and you're unworthy of having them in your life and therefore they're leaving you because you deserve it. And and you're the one creating it. Exactly. It's kind of that law of attraction thing that I wrestle with because some of it is true, the rest of it is woo-woo and, you know, where's that line? I don't know. But um, it is true that what you focus on, you get more of, whether it's positive or negative. That's true, for sure. And also your belief systems. Like... Um, it would be disingenuous to call myself a Christian like that, 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 that's not a fit, right? Is Christ my, uh, uh savior and, and so forth? Uh, I got questions, you know, um, that, that doesn't fit right for me, but, um, doesn't mean that there's not a pile of good lessons there. Right. And, um, I was going somewhere with that. I, I had, don't know, but whether you believe, uh, Jesus of Nazareth was the son of God or not, by all accounts, he was a real nice guy, and he spread a lot of wisdom, and he he's did a lot smart of good dude. stuff. He, did, he, did, he worked real hard to do a lot of good stuff. You know, same smart thing with, dude, good teacher. Know, the Buddha, right? The same thing, whether you believe he was divine or not. At the end of the day, both those men worked real hard to do good things in the world, and they spoke a lot of wisdom, and 
they both said a lot of the same things. So yeah. just shut the fuck up and listen to them once in a while. Well, that's it. I mean, there's a, a bunch of good stuff in there. I uh, I just stumbled across, Joe Rogan was talking about it. Uh, there's this, um, The Chosen, it's called. It's a Bible-based um, uh, video series. You download this app called Angel on your uh, on your phone, and you can watch it. And it's freaking Game of Thrones good, man. Like, it is good. And it's the most watched thing that's ever been watched in the history of watching shit. Uh, like, 400 million, no. What is it? Yeah, over 400 million, 470 million views so far of this series. It's like a, a one-hour miniseries, like Game of Thrones kind of thing. And Game of Thrones level good. Like, it's really, really good. I just started it uh, uh, last night. I, I kept popping up on my phone, like, oh, this is interesting. But um, there's good lessons there. It's not about a bearded man in the sky, or it's not about... Um, uh, th- did a fish eat a guy, you know, did a guy hang around uh, in, in the fish's mouth for, for four days or whatever the story is, right? That's not what it's about. It's, um, the Bible is a guide to good living, if you read it that way, right? And there's some horrible shit to there. It's like, man, th- th- this is God? That's not very good. He seems like a bit of a dick. Destroying <laughs> two whole cities? Like, come on. In the, in the, like, where's the compassion there, you know? Especially the Old Testament, right? Yeah. And the Old Testament and the New Testament totally clash with each other. Yeah, they're completely uh, antagonists to one another. Oh, yeah, they are. Um, but uh, the New Testament, though, especially uh, you get one of those ones where all of uh, the so-called words of Jesus, but they're all really good, so maybe they were the words of Jesus, you know? But they're in red. I like that one. Mm. You know, and, and reading that, because everything that that dude's got to say is like, ah, that's pretty good, actually. Like that's that's better than Tony Robbins. Like that's that's good stuff, and it makes sense. And I find like when you read that, or you read um, any any of the writings of any of the of the religions, the the big ones, there's some common threads in all of them. Oh yeah, and like they all come down to basically, don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. That's it. You know, uh, the all the the golden rule uh, is is found everywhere. Right? Put others before yourself. Right. Treat everyone the way you want to be treated. In the Don't same, be a dick. Right. Don't be a dick. Mind your own business. Like I found beauty. Um, some. I'm in an arm wrestling club. I love my arm wrestling club. And uh, every now and then, uh, theological conversations pop up. So these Muslim guys were telling me, "He's like, look, uh, when you're at heaven's gate for judgment, like God's." Cuts you a lot of slack, man. He gives you a lot of rope. And he looks for any glimmer of of goodness in you as an excuse to let you in. I'm like, really? Because it feels like the other way. If I was, I, I, my- I imagine myself at the pearly gates all the time, like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to make it, man. Those doors might be shut for this guy. That's that's my biggest problem with most organized religions. Like, I, I believe spirituality is is necessary for humans to lead a fulfilled life, but not yeah. necessarily doing what somebody else tells you spirituality is, right? I don't believe that, because in, in my experience, all of our problems stem from judgment, usually self-judgment, mm. but that's put on us at an early age. Judgment drives division, separation, and isolation. Healing is never, it does not happen when we're isolated. That's why when, as, as an, I was an alcoholic, I've battled depression, anxiety, PTSD, all the stuff and the things, right? I got the whole hockey sock full of them, right? And the first thing my mental illness would do, whatever label you want to put on it for that particular moment in time, 
right? The first thing it would always try to do is make me isolate, pull yeah. away from everyone, push everyone away. And then I could tell myself everyone's leaving me. And then I could judge myself even more harshly. And as soon as I started trying to achieve connection, dropping judgment, not judging others, led me to learn to not judge myself as harshly. I still do. I'm, I'm a human being, right? Sure. But when I started learning to connect with others, then I started to learn to connect with me. My, I began to connect, understand what my emotions are. They're a physiological response. I began to learn um, through the Veterans Foundation Network and through Winter Warriors Canada uh, programs what my body was doing, to pay attention to what my body's doing. And then I could use that to pull myself out of my limbic system out of, and out of a flashback or panic attack was happening and, and begin to connect with other people, other humans around me. I began to connect myself, then myself to others, and then I began to feel a connection to whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to put a name on it, but the, there's a, a, an energy, a divine power. I call it call source. It. Great, we'll call it source. I began to connect more with the source. I began to listen to my body, began to listen to people talking, not listen for the spaces between their words so I could jump in, but began to listen to what they were actually trying to tell me, what they were trying to communicate with me so I could establish a connection. And then there's a weird thing where I tried that shit with my wife. I began having a really good marriage. <laughs> weird. <laughs> and, I, I've been saying for a while, and I love your feedback, um, because I think we've got to stay on this connection piece for a bit and try to flesh this out between the two of us. Cool. Um, uh, without fully understanding what I'm saying, I've been saying that the injury of PTSD is disconnection. Therefore, connection is the cure. And the disconnection is from yourself, from the person you are, the person you were, the person you wanted to be, um, and from disconnection from relationships. But you're right, it, it's it's a disconnection from God or source as well. Um, and I think one way I can explain my experience with that is my, I'm going to get upset when <laughs> telling the story, but uh, through, my, my, my happy place was always the forest, right? Especially here in the foothills and the mountains, like get off to, to Sandy McNabb and Kananaskis, get off the road, no beaten trails for me. Like I don't need a wood chip trail, just get off into the bush and um, that'd be my happy place. And it would center me and I'd feel calm and connected. Connected. I could feel connected to the forest and to nature and to myself. I lost that for years. For years, I could go out there and I couldn't feel it. Couldn't feel it. I couldn't. And that's when I knew I was in deep shit. Because the one thing I could do for self-care didn't work anymore. And fuck, that sucked. That was probably, that's the real standout for me for something that was uh, really shitty. And um, I knew I was healing when I could go out there and I could feel it again. I could go out there and I was like, ah, it's recharging my batteries again because I was able to connect to it. And I don't know if the audience is going to be able to understand what I just said, but I know you do. I bet you'd be surprised how many people are going, yeah, I know what he's talking about. Maybe not the forest, 
but there's something somewhere. For some people, it's the beach. It's the. It's yep. usually nature, and it's it's not necessarily isolate like being alone, um, because when you're really connected with with fuck the rest of the universe, basically, you're never really quite alone. You understand that you're not alone. You're never alone, right? When you feel that real connection, um. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, an awful story about uh, about the opposite of that. Sure. Um, I was married for uh, 20 years. We were together for 23. The first two were really bad, and the last two were worst. But the uh, the middle ones were fucking amazing because we were two very broken people. But the way we were broken, all of our jagged pieces kind of fit. Mm, it worked, and we became one person for a long, long time. And uh, we were, it was everything. But in the last three years, four years of our marriage, something happened, whether it was I won too many or just, it's just whatever. Um, Our separate and combined cumulative shit just got to be too much. For one, both, I don't know. But whether it happened to one of us first or not is irrelevant because it happened to both of us. And our broken pieces didn't fit anymore. And now you've got two very jagged human beings just abrading and grinding against each other. And we were two very lonely human beings living in the house separately together. Yeah, I get that. And it became too much for her. And she began to kill herself by not eating. And uh, I was too broken to do anything effective or helpful in any way, shape, or form about it. And she fucking died. It took her two years. I watched and I didn't do anything effective and I went crazier and crazier and so did she and then one day I would ask myself regularly you know even for work or whatever you know am I going to come home to my wife or her corpse I'd uh you know am I going to wake up beside my wife or her corpse so I was ready. I was prepared for it. So I walked in the bedroom and found her corpse. Oh, Jesus Christ. Everything just stopped. She just, everything just stopped. Just, there wasn't enough to sustain her. And I don't mean food, man. There wasn't enough love. There wasn't enough connection to sustain her anymore. I thought I was giving her all the love I had, but it wasn't getting there. It was stopped. I don't know if it was stopped inside me or if I couldn't get through to her, but there was a connection was gone. And she didn't have that connection she needed to the only human that she really fucking cared about. And when that connection was gone, she gave up. Connection heals. Isolation destroys. Thank you for sharing that, Sheridan. That's... uh One of the worst punishments a person 
can get when they're in the can is isolation. Yeah. Put them in the isolation tank. And, um, three days you can watch it happen. You can watch somebody in three days. You can see what happens to them in three days when you put them in the isolation cell. The level of whatever, whatever, however they're crazy is manifesting when they get brought into SIG. It gets stronger and stronger. And within three days and three nights, at the end of that time, you will see a different level of crazy. They've gone up to 11. What's, what's the legal limit in Canada to have somebody in isolation? I don't even know anymore, man. Like I, uh, I think it's like, it's, just, it's not long. It's like two weeks or something. Yeah. I, I flushed when I walked off the job in, uh, and, and yet there's people, uh, there's one fella cause they, they don't know what else to do with them. They made a movie about him. Um, oh, what's his nuts? The guy that played Bane. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The British, he played a British, uh, inmate who spent like, yeah, real story, right? Yeah. True story. Yeah. And, and the, and the dude was in, um, um, Manson was the name of the movie because he took on the name. Yeah, he changed for, his name. For, for, no, Bronson. 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 So he took on the name of the actor, Charles Bronson, who's totally cool. Death Wish. Uh, Death Wish. So good. Um, but took on Charles Bronson's name uh, as his own, and the the dude would just always bang. Like, you open the door, it's a fight. Yeah. And a good one because the, the guy would do a couple thousand push-ups a day and, like, dude was jacked. But he was so bonkers, uh, they didn't know what else to do with him. So he's been in isolation for years and years and years and years. So he's made up his own little world, you know. That um, isolation is the pain. Yep. Connection is the cure. And that's why these peer support groups, like uh, I had Jason Tranholm on uh, from OSI Can and... Uh, they're a volunteer peer support outfit, right? Uh, trying to put little stations all, all all over the place so that people have a beacon of of hope. And for me, it, like I've done, I don't do the formal peer support groups anymore. I was running them for a while, um, but I'm I just I'm past that stage now, and that's not what I want. My arm wrestling club is is my that's my home. And that's, I go twice a week and I love it. So I, cut, I get two birds with one stone. I get the social uh, connection and I get the, uh, the physical fitness, the strength, mm-hmm. right? And when you're pulling as hard as you freaking can, you know, the, physiologically, that's good for you. Heavy lifting is good. Heavy physical strain is good it, uh, on a chemical level. It's a good thing. So I do that twice a week and it's my happy place. More to that. Humans as a mammalian uh, herd species or pack species, whatever you want to call it, however you want to phrase it, we as, as humans, we are mammals and we are designed to live together to such an extent that if you and I were to hold hands in the arm wrestling position for 8 to 30 seconds, our brains would release serotonin and oxytocin. Skin-to-skin contact makes our brain... Because we're hand-hugging. Because we're hand hugging. Well, real men hold hands. Just nice. so you know, I'll, nice. I'll show you the table upstairs later. So, like, yeah, you're, and then you're exerting yourself. So there's your dopamine and endorphins, right? Yeah. And it's competitive. There's your adrenaline, right? It's the same thing with grappling arts of any kind, whether it's just your arms grappling or whether it's wrestling or Brazilian jiu jitsu or what what have you. Any kind of grappling, competitive grappling, releases all of your body's feel good hormones. 
Because you're angry hugging. Angry hugging. That's <laughs> kind of your dude, right? So yeah, it's, you're getting yeah you're getting you're getting intense therapy when you when you arm wrestle. Good for you, brother. Dude, you you've uh, really fleshed that out for me. I appreciate that. You know, I know it's good, <laughs> but I but I wasn't I wasn't sure why. Um, it, it's also the the support like a proper peer support group is isn't about um, who's the boss or uh, who's the best or. Uh, who had the biggest trauma or who had right. the who, trauma porn or what was your rank? Like, Jesus Christ, nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. If somebody, I was the RSA. Nobody gives a shit. You ain't anymore, motherfucker. Yeah, not anymore. Now you're just, hey, you're, you're just Dave now yeah, or right, whatever. Like, yeah. But um, like, none of that matters. And uh, one of the reasons that arm wrestling clubs work is that if you don't have some kind of grip on your ego, you don't show up. <laughs> You can't, right? Because I don't care how big and squirrely you are. Like I, I, I'm not a big guy. I'm I'm five nine. I'm a buck ninety, um, uh, and I've had like six foot six monsters come in, and I'm slapping them around, right? Uh, until they teach them how to do it. <laughs> right? they, they, then they figure it out. Then I was like, oh, there, there you are. But uh, but for the first hour, I'm slapping them around because they're just not connected to their to their strength, is what we call it. Yeah. And uh, if you can't handle that, being slapped around, but like, or my son, um, who's 116 uh, years old, 130 pounds, he's every bit as strong as I am, and a better arm wrestler than I am. Um, so you're some big, full-grown man, and this 130-pound kid is slapping you around. Uh, if you can't handle that, you don't come back. That's where, um, you know, the same thing with... Um with grappling, especially uh, with jiu-jitsu, judo, um, of which both of which I suck, by the way. Just I'm not, I'm not, I am, I am not good at them. Okay, the last time I did it was was all, all three years, four years ago when I was. I've been focusing my brain too much since then, or not too much, but enough. That's my my goal: fixing my 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 connection from my my body and my brain. But the last time I got choked out by a 14 year old. <sighs> You want to talk about being humble? Well, especially a couple of combat fighters, right? Like yeah, a like couple of war fighters. Oh and, man, he and he just yeah. he, right from right from like right from the handshake, he just he owned my ass. <laughs> Not a thing you could do. Fourteen years old, maybe a buck forty. <laughs> I was about two twenty, and he's just just decimating me effort and effortlessly. It was actually, um. I was able enough to suck my ego back and just watch this kid, like, like outside of myself, and just watch how this kid's doing and how great he is doing right now. And I could just be really, really happy for him. Not happy for me, very unhappy for me, but yeah. super happy for him because he was just owning me. It was amazing. I don't know if I could do the combat sports uh, now, but uh, every time, because I've always been interested in martial arts and I've uh, trained in, God, I don't know, half a dozen different ones as a dabbler. Right. Um, but every time I go, it fucks me up so bad because uh, slipping back into combat mode, mm. the hypervigilance kicks in for the rest of the week and it like it ain't good. Uh, I've been in so many dust ups, man. Like I was that guy. Yeah, I'm scared to go back and train. Um, I haven't trained in a very long time and I'm scared to go back because, yeah, I don't. The mentality I was training with for far, far too long was wrong. Mm. Right? I was just training to kill. 
Yeah. So I could I could kill, right? And well, because it's in us. Like, right? think about the ambush training we did, right? right? Contact right. What do you do? Right? Like you, you, unle- you, un- you, you, you turn into the, in, into the bullets and you unleash hell. Uh, and it's like storming the beaches of Normandy kind of shit. Like you're probably not going to make it, but it's the only shot you yeah. got. My chance you have is to take, kill everything in front of you while you go that way. And hope for the best. Yeah. And just, just go. And if you make it, you make it. And if you don't, well, that's to be expected. And, um, so you think about the ambush drills and, and how many we did, right? Ambush right, ambush left, ambush front, ambush rear, and, and, and how to, um, it, it, it's, Part of it is the tactical, okay, this is an Australian peel back or, right. or Aussie, roll, Aussie roll back, Aussie roll up, or are we going right? Yeah, like So there's all these things, right? But but the real the real training that's happening there is if you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. Mm-hmm. If you have a problem, kill it. That's the real training. Because fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Flop. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's where it, it weeds out. If if your uh, reaction to aggression isn't hyper-aggression, you're useless. Yeah. Right? right? And you're going to get yourself killed or you're going to get me killed, and that's way worse. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and we try to weed that out. But it doesn't always work, does it? Or so it so you've, got a couple of, you've got a couple of tours under your belt. Uh, uh, oh, God, if he's listening, it's... I won't tell you this story uh, yet, but I wonder if you have a story of one of the guys that wasn't weeded out, and when the shit hit the fan, they couldn't do it. They could, they couldn't function. If I did, I wouldn't share it because it's not my story. Yeah. Um, well, you wouldn't name the names, obviously. No, but because I wouldn't even like like w- w- when I bring up this topic, it's not in a shaming way. Yeah. It's not in like Are you fucking coward. Although I was thinking it at the time, but. Um, but it happens. Like there's people that made it through the training, probably shouldn't have, uh, and when it hits the fan, they can't do it. Well, it also comes down to, like we we like to think that because I did, I was a fucking rock star the last situation, I'll be a fucking oh, rock yeah, star the point. next one. But you won't. There's no guarantee. There's absolutely zero guarantee. No matter how well trained you are, how well experienced you are, there is no guarantee that the next time. You need to be super fucking rock star Joe Commando that you're going to do that. There is a chance that you're going to do something. Your body's going to make you do something. Because when, when is your cup full? Right? Like, like you don't know. It just adds up. And, and then maybe yeah. you freeze at that time or you flop. Right? Your body just cannot, you cannot do what your brain is screaming at you to do. Right? For whatever reason. Or your brain just shuts off and you flop. You just, yeah, because you're not reacting with fight. You're reacting with freeze. Right. And, and you can't do shit about it. You know, you're gone back from, you're not, not even like, not even like your hippocampus anymore. You're, you're way the fuck back in your lizard brain now. Like, and just everything freezes and you just flop over. You, you know, I've frozen twice. Uh, same time, same, same situation both times. Some about grenades. Don't get me to throw the grenade because I freeze. Uh, the first time I threw one, uh, then I just look at <laughs> yeah, then they had to grab me and pull me behind the screen, right? Yeah. But I'm just like, just deer in the headlights watching the grenades. Like, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Always got a face full of grenade trap. Yeah, right? uh, and then the second time I threw a grenade, it was workup training for Hugo. It was in California. Same fucking thing. And it was um, a little extra dangerous because it was room to room. So we're room clearing uh, with the tire, the tire walls uh, w- with a grenade. I throw a grenade, then I just look at it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so don't 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 let me be the guy that throws a grenade. There's probably almost zero chance I'll ever throw one again in my life. But uh, I, 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 I that that is not what I'm good at. Uh, I froze in the door of a cell once. Um, the interior uh, was the scene was so messed up. It was so outside of anything I'd ever experienced. Um, the, they somehow managed to smuggle in not just speed, but messed up speed. It had been cut with basalt. Remember basalt back in 2000? Uh, yeah, and, then the, and the walking zombies. Right, uh, like eating, from, eating faces and stuff. Like, remember that? Oh, that, yeah, yeah, nuts. Right? Yeah, well, somehow they'd managed to not only get speed in, but the speed had been cut with basalt, and they were mixing it with this instant brew they were making because they had access to heaters on the unit. So they have homemade booze, and then they would dump their bath salt cut speed into it. And they would go to this place where they were not human anymore. They, they, they were not capable of, of making human speech. Wow. It was just animalistic noises that came out of them. Um, extreme heat. They were ripping clothes off. Their, 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 their body generally is massive heat. At some point, they would lose control of their bladder and bowels, which is real fun to fight in. And so you got to fight somebody that's batshit nuts, superhuman strong, superhuman strong, and they're full of shit and piss, covered in it. Good times, yeah. So, um, thankfully, even 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 the most mentally ill. Uh, um, I fought two out of three, but not all three. Jesus. Uh, even 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 the most traumatized inmates finally, like after about a week, were like, "No, this stuff, this is too messed up." It's, we're, no, and that that just went away. But um, we were stacked up outside a door to a cell. And um, the guy on the panel activated the switch to open the door, unlock the door before we were set. So I was like, oh, go, 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 go. And so I ripped the door open and I froze at what I saw because the cell was covered in every fluid the male body contains. Uh, Both men were on the floor. Uh, one was naked, the other was almost naked. Uh, uh, one was on top, and they were both like on their stomachs. The one on top on his stomach, on the other guy's back, and he had, he had like uh, he he'd found some chunk of plastic that he'd made some sort of pseudo shank out of. It wasn't very effective because it's just cheap ass plastic. It's probably like this handle of a plastic spoon, and he's trying to stab the guy underneath him in, in the face, but he, he couldn't like. And the noises and the smell and this, I I. I my brain just like locked. It's just too much. I just didn't know what to, what to do. And but the guy behind, like someone in the rest of the stack, was moving. So I got bumped from behind, and I still couldn't tell you right now if I went in to the cell or if I stepped back and held the door open, or if I sat down and cried. I have no idea what happened. Yeah, for it was the information overload. Yeah, for the next several minutes. Um. So yeah. I, but never happened again either. Like I never, I never froze in the door again. Mm-hmm. Um, I never frozen. Bef- I had never frozen before that. Well, it's just such that, a crazy what the fuck moment, right? So there's, there's like, no. What, what 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 is this? What am I looking at? Why and why? What what noise are you making? I remember this. this crazy, <laughs> what what noise is that? Oh, it, what does that mean? What are you doing? It sounds like a like it sounds like Chewbacca from Star Wars having like. An epileptic seizure. What? What is going? I don't. And yeah. yeah. So there's no guarantee that at any given moment, you know, you're going to be Joe Rockstar. No matter what, right? So yeah. There's, there's that certain moment, and that's where 
in any of the EMS things, you got to realize that that's going to happen to somebody at some at some point, and it's probably going to happen to you at some point. And when it does, it just re- it's like, oh, okay, well, this this is your moment mm-hmm. to take them out and then deal with them after too. It's like, hey, how, how you doing? That was messed up, eh? That was pretty messed up. You know, and I was kind of, uh, and then yeah, because and have and have that validation that yeah, no, that was super duper messed up, man, and it's okay. There's no shame in today was your day where this was just a bit much. Exactly right, and that's that's the thing that we we did so wrong for so long, right? That judgment that you know there was no such thing as too much, right? If if you if you weren't on all the time, right? You had some crusty, maybe he's an NCO, maybe he wasn't an officer, maybe maybe it's just a senior dude or someone's been around, but you get that, you know. That fucking judgment, you fucking pussy, you coward, you weakling, right? When so, what all that does? That's there's your PTSD moment. Maybe that kid. It's the moral injury part of it. 100%. It's the it's the bad bad leadership part of it. So, so on my tour, bombs, bullets, bodies, right? <laughs> all three, and um, that that's not the worst of it, though. The worst of it is when my sergeant made me choose because uh, I had a sudden moment uh, where we were about to get into the carrier. It's, there's no combat going on. We're not being QRF'd. Um, it's just we. it was Canada Day. And we we're going to go uh, to a softball game. It was like we we're going to play softball with the locals, right? So it was like the best gig of the whole tour. And my guts turned just as I was about to get in the carrier. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to make it. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I've got to, I got to hit the biffy right now. And he's like, now he was a power freak and he didn't make the whole tour. He ended up wigging out uh, about uh, two weeks later, but uh, he hated me, hated me. Right. Um, hated me so much. And he says, you get in that fucking carrier. And I said, no, no, I'm going to shit my pants. If I get in that carrier, I've got to do this now. Get in the carrier or court martial. I'm like, you motherfucker. So I chose uh, get in the carrier. Yeah. And I shat my pants in front of my whole section, right? Full load <laughs> and made a mess. Everybody it was, it was still kind of uh, not very smart to be hatches up. Everybody went hatches up, uh-huh. right? All, we everybody popped the hatches or gasped for air. Oh my god, yeah. you know. And everybody went hatches up, and then uh, while everybody else was playing uh, softball and having a great time on Canada Day, you cleaned the carrier. I, I, I was cleaning myself, you know, and uh, and and getting that sorted out as best as I can, all because of this son of a bitch, right? So that and stories like that are the worst part of my tour. Not uh, the torso that I saw, or which was really weird. I still can't see it in my mind's eye. It's like, why is there a torso? Where's the head and the arms and legs and shit? It's just a torso. What the fuck is this? But uh, th- that's not the worst part. The 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 worst part was that. Yeah, you know, and, judgment and, and and things like that being treated like that by your own people. You know, it's like okay, like every soldier knows that if you're on a long patrol you might have to crap your pants. Yeah. Like there's just, it's just, it's just how it is. And, uh, uh, that's okay. If, if there's it a, doesn't if, have to, if, if it's not a, pur- if there's no purpose to it, fuck you, 
You son of a bitch. Yeah, that's just power tripping. That's just that's just horrible, horrible leadership, man. That's horrible. Just, so bad. That's a complete lack of leadership is what that is. That's a supervisor, not a leader. <laughs> right? Because look at like, that drives me crazy, you know, in, in in my civilian career versus my military career. In my civilian career, I've been surrounded by supervisors and managers, <laughs> right? Very few leaders. In the yeah. military, I was surrounded by more leaders than supervisors. Because supervising, what does that mean? Supervise. It means I stand back and I watch you. Yeah. Right? I stand back over here. I'm separate from you. I'm just disconnected from you. Right? And a manager. Well, the root word of manager is manage. And what do we do? We manage despite. Manage despite an illness, despite a lack of resources, despite our personnel. Right? Manage. Kiss my ass. A leader leads. They're in there. They do it first. From the front. Right? Manifest the behavior. Exhibit the behavior that you wish your subordinates to exhibit and display, and they will do so. If you do it first, they will do what you do. And same thing, that's, that was a big lesson I had with parenting. I had this moment when I was coming out of insanity where, because um, my son Trey saved my life. He's why I didn't kill myself. He's why I was going to kill myself and why I didn't kill myself. But um, I had this moment where I was like, maybe I was like, well, no. If I don't want my son to be the way I am now, then I should give him a different example and be, oh, fuck, be a leader. Like the army said, mm-hmm. fuck you, army. You're right again, damn you. <laughs> the army is right about a lot of stuff. A lot of the time. Not always, yeah. but a lot of the time. I'm right about a lot of things. Yeah. So, yeah, I would. I, I started this campaign, you know, what would growing up Trace do? W-W-G-U-T-D, right? Like a situation of any kind. I would have to try to catch it, pause for a moment, and ask myself, okay, if Trace were here right now, what would I want him as an adult to do in my shoes? Not what do I want to do. I want something stupid and violent. I want to be an asshole. I want to be a fucking, you know, I, I want to be this, this monster that I'm wallowing in that I term this, this lack of morality and ethics that I become this, this fucking monster that I became. Um, what, what I want trace to do now. And then I would do that and I would do that again. And again, I would start trying to model the behavior that I want trace to exhibit when he's a grown man. I would start to try to become the man that I wanted him to become. And by default, I did not do that. I didn't. I had no examples of how to do that. I just faked it, right? I faked it. Faked Aren't we all, man? Right? Well, and then, well, son of a bitch, if I didn't fake it long enough that I just started doing it by instinct. And I started learning how to become the man that I want Trace and now my son Brandon to become. And I'm learning to become the man that I want to become. And it, things are really working out well. But I had to find that that. Again, fucking connection. The connection between my army leadership and parenting and then the connection to my own body. Pausing. Okay, my heart's racing. Okay, pause. Stop for a second. Just give it a moment, dude. Slow your shit. Think. What do you want your son to do now? Do that, stupid. Unclench your fists. Take the gloves off. Go talk to that man over there. Not the coveralls you see. Go talk to that man over there and find out 
why he's acting like an orangutan. To be able to do all the things that you're talking about um, is the first part of the healing journey, which is self-awareness. As uh, I mentioned John Sr. earlier in, um, in this uh, peer support guy, but realizing that I am the asshole, you know, that's yeah. a tough pill to swallow. Uh, but uh, if you're suffering from PTSD, you're probably an asshole. Yeah. Um, but it's everyone else's fault. It's everybody else's fault. Yeah. It's because of those damn civvies. <laughs> here's, a, here's a clue, man. If everybody around you all the time is an asshole, there's one common denominator. Yeah, it's not them. Yeah. It's not them. Look in the mirror. And that's the toughest part. Right. Like looking in the mirror and having that self-awareness. And this is where equine therapy uh, comes in. This is where having a service dog comes in. This all provides you that, that mirror, yeah, that, feedback. That, that, that feedback of like, oh, fuck, that's me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people in business meetings saying, Jesus Christ, you were aggressive, man. I'm like, what? No, but that was just my face. <laughs> what are you talking about? I thought you were going to come across the table and strangle him. Well, you could tell I was thinking that. <laughs> I thought I was hiding that shit. Yeah, they, yeah, I was thinking about it, but uh, it's not what I was doing. But uh, it's like, yeah, that, you got an aggressive face. I'm like, oh, I was on a mission. Yeah. So realizing that I'm the asshole, but also why, right? Um one of the greatest lessons out of the 273 episodes I've done on the show that I've got tons of feedback. People have said that this one bit of advice has changed their life. It's changed their marriage. It's changed their relationship with their kids is understanding one thing that because what we're talking about earlier about ambush training, if you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it. That never leaves you. So if you're at the, kitchen table, like I was, or whatever your trigger is. I I like to use the camping trip. You take the family on a camping trip and you're the biggest asshole ever on a camping trip or when you're organizing anything, right? Because what is going on in the background apps is, is you're on a mission. Our missions are life or death. Everything has to be laid out. I need to have a plan, a contingency plan, a contingency plan for the contingency plan. Because it's life or death. Right. And our brain doesn't realize that we're on a life or death mission, right? Or that we're not on a life or death mission. And we don't realize in our frontal cortex that I'm reacting as if this is a life or death mission. So for me, it was the kitchen table, but it could be camping. It could be taking the garbage out. It could be doing the dishes. It could be any doing the laundry, making your bed. Like it could be anything for anybody. But for me, it was the kitchen table and uh, eating in an orderly fashion and not jacking around at the table. I couldn't do it, but I didn't know why. And there was nobody to tell me why. So my wife and I were, were trying to figure out strategies. How does Mark not be a complete idiot at the, at the table? Cause nobody wanted to eat with me. Right. Uh, and it's mostly the incredible anxiety is feeling, uh, about my kids. I just want them to behave. Right. And uh, also my wife's the breadwinner. So that's an extra layer of why I want, really want my kids to behave because my wife's the the breadwinner and like respect that and you know be just mind your p's and q's um but either way i was such a dick until one day um my youngest was about eight ish nine ish and sweet kind beautiful young boy and uh 
uh, he's a doughhead as well, you know, like most eight or nine year olds are. And he tipped his plate, crumbs come off his plate, they hit the floor, and I get down on one knee, knife hand out, Dawson, what in the fuck is wrong with you? And I watched him break, Sheridan. Yeah. I watched his face melt. And all of a sudden I got it. I'm hurting my kid. Yeah. You think I could stop? I couldn't stop. No, no you're screaming at yourself, stop it, stop it, stop yeah, it. Yeah, I got the voice Why in my head. I'm it? trying to stop and I can't stop. And I, I'm seeing the damage I'm doing. I'm watching his fucking face melt. And I'm seeing like, oh my God, this is a core memory for him. He's going to remember this for the rest of his life. And I couldn't fucking stop. I was a runaway train until my wife put her hand on my shoulder. I said, Mark, they're just crumbs. We can clean them up. And that was the day that I reached out to the Royal Canadian Legion, started the process, and uh, reached out for help and started the healing road because I saw what I was doing. But understanding why I was doing it, because I was on a life and death mission, that self-awareness is enough. So that same kid, a couple years later, after I figured out this whole you're on a mission thing because the peer support groups that uh, I ended up facilitating for, for a while, um, I, I bought a motorcycle from some guy off Kijiji that was in Winnipeg. So my youngest, oh, I really want to be on a plane. Well, let's go on a plane. So I took him, and the two of us went on the plane from uh, from here, from Calgary to Winnipeg. So, hey, there's your plane ride. It was very anticlimactic for him. I was like, eh, meh. And, <laughs> um, then we picked up this big touring motorcycle. I'll show it to you in the garage. And uh, we rode back from Winnipeg to here. But I already knew that I was an asshole, and I knew I was on a life-or-death mission. I'd figured all this out at this point. So my mission for this was not to get the bike back. My mission was make a good experience for my kid. Don't fuck this up. That was the mission. And because that was the mission, I accomplished the mission because it changed my focus. Yeah. So I told myself, well, we're going to try to get home in two days, but I don't care if it's five days. Like I'll be watching the kid and make sure this isn't painful for him. I want him to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, and we're good. And the only time that the cheese started to slip off the cracker a little, sure shit, it was putting up a tent, right? Because the army comes right out of you. You're putting up a tent. It's life or death. And uh, and then I caught myself. I went, oh, you idiot. You idiot. You're on a mission again. So I scaled it back. And I caught, I caught it early. I said, sorry, son. It actually doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's, you're doing fine on putting up the tent with me. And then, and then we were fine because I caught it. And that's that self-awareness piece, right? And we, we finished the whole trip. It's a, now a good memory for him instead of a tragic memory. Uh, we got the motorcycle home. He had a great time. Spent 1,500 kilometers on the motorcycle with my kid. No blowouts. Beautiful. We were good, right? Beautiful. But it's all understanding that self-awareness. And, and that is the biggest part of the healing journey. And if you can't do that... Just like at the arm wrestling club, if you can't put your ego in check and, and, and be the guy that needs the help and accepts the help, if you have to be the fucking man and the winner and the guy on top and the strong one all the time, sorry, you're fucked. Yeah. You're not going to make it, man. You're fucked. We're trying to undo all the shit. Like yesterday, my kid had a, uh, he had an anxiety attack. Um, we're at a point now where 
after after many years of therapy, group therapy, psychedelic assisted therapy, that uh, I'm I'm pretty able to to maintain effortlessly, right? But my family don't know that guy. He's only been around for a few months. This this yeah. casual dude, this relaxed guy, this guy. Uh, so this is months now. They've been waiting for the explosion. Waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right? So, you know, dissipation of death is worse than death itself. <laughs> right? So they're waiting, waiting, waiting. waiting. And yeah. yesterday, I was very careful to control the muscles of my face and the tone of my voice. I was talking to my child the way I would talk to a deranged and violent person that oh, I don't fine. want to harm. Very calm, very level, very, very honest, very, very, you know, straightforward, calm demeanor, maintaining deep breathing, keeping my heart rate low, keeping my, my you know, the breath in my belly, letting every, my body be as relaxed as humanly possible. Everything was good. But my son saw rage and heard rage. No because else, he's used to it. No one else in the room did. But he did. Because that's what dad is. I had that moment too. Jesus. When he was, I don't know, three maybe? Maybe four. I'm not even sure how old he was. Yeah. He was crying for a legitimate reason. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's always a legitimate reason. Yeah, you're three. And That's what you do. That's I how you communicate. Around. Yeah, and I knife-handed him, and I fucking screamed at him, and it was sheer rage. It was just this, just this, this wave of of berserker fury yeah. launched at a three-year-old child who's already distraught. And I watched him just, like you said, crumble. A friend of mine choke slammed his three-year-old into the crib. And uh, poor man, and uh, and and caught himself after. I was like, "What the fuck was that? I am a piece of shit." Yeah, you don't ever let go of that, you know. And uh, beat up yourself forever for stuff like that. Yeah, you know. Hopefully, you catch it. Yeah, but th- this is part of how isolation creates a negative feedback loop because you do something like this you're ashamed of it you don't talk about it you don't share it with anybody and if you don't share it nobody else shares their bullshit with you either and then you don't then you think you're the only one right that's what this fucking book of mine is man it's me putting out and i'm a very it's it's really hard for me to be here because i'm in i'm still struggling with you know um assertiveness and and uh and and openness so i wrote a fucking book putting all my shit out there for everybody but I have this hope, and so far it's, it's it's borne fruit. Everyone who's ever gotten back to me about about the about reading it has raved about how they feel the connection because it's honest and raw, and you throw you you put your ego aside and you're just you're telling the truth, and that's the power. Uh, so one of the mantras I say in the show is "recover out loud." Yeah, and that's what that means. Um, you wrote that book because you're recovering out loud. You're sh- and that's how this, sto- this show started, right? Uh, the show started with um, some live stream I did on Facebook with zero gear, uh, and I was just a freaking mess. And it, that one was a runner. It took off because uh, it was just me talking about my shit. I probably had a couple drinks at me at the time. I don't drink anymore. And um, 
by doing that, just recovering out loud, that saves lives. 100%. Because the other stuff we're talking about, because everybody else is isolated and thinks they're the only one. Yeah, it's all me. I'm broken inside. I'm bro- And this comes from fucking earliest childhood in this culture where, oh, yeah. you know, if you're a boy, you're allowed to feel four things. You can feel hungry, you can feel tired, you can feel horny, you can feel angry. You're allowed to feel those four what things. What about boobies? Can you feel boobies? Uh, emotionally, yeah. Oh, okay. But uh, physically, yeah, you can feel boobs. But that uh, follows into feeling horny. But if you feel fear, which every human does, you're punished. If you feel lonely, if you feel anything other than those four things... It's getting better now, I think, but you know, my generation and previous generations, like you want to cry, whack, there's something to cry about. Yeah. Now suck it up. Yeah. Right. And so, what happens to that kid? That kid still feels the same emotions, the same physiological response in the body, same hormones get released, same neurochemicals transmit down the body, same reactions all happen, no matter what, because that's how our bodies fucking work. So you feel the fear, but you're not allowed to express the fear. Because if you do, well, you're wrong, you're flawed, you're broken, you're less than, you're not as good as. So you judge yourself now. Or little girls, for how many generations now, little girls were taught, you're not allowed to be angry. You can't raise your voice. you got to be polite. you got to be friendly. you got to be cheerful. you got to smile. got to be a little rape victim waiting to happen, right? If you're anything else, well, then you get judged harshly. So then they judge themselves. So we grow up telling ourselves this story in our head, right? We're constantly narrating this plot line in our in our head as we're going. And for me, it was always I'm not as good. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not as good as. I'm worthless. I don't have no value. I'm, I'm not. I'm not as good as mm. because I feel these things in my body that I'm not allowed to feel. Yeah. Which means I'm inherently flawed as a human being, right? My father didn't set out to go. Okay, you know what? I'm going to break this fucking kid. And make him a disaster. He never, not once that ever occurred to him. No, I thought he was making you strong. Right? Just as his father did. Yeah. When his father used to beat the wheels off him and his father before that. Like, if you knew better, you do better. Exactly. So, when I credit myself for very few things in this life, but one thing I did right, when my current wife, my Valkyrie, who saved my life, by taking over my life, <laughs> When she was pregnant, I sat down and I read back-to-back seven parenting books because I knew I wouldn't remember any of it if I didn't read all of it over and over again. Yeah. And I started to really work and try hard to put those things into practice to learn. I didn't know how to be a dad, so I decided to learn how to be a dad. And eventually, eventually, I started to get the hang of it. Um. But it wasn't until I started learning how my body worked too. Finally I was just going to say, uh, like when I wrote my first book, I, I read like 20 personal development books first. It's all useless if I haven't figured myself out yet. Exactly. Right. So, hey, there's all these rules. I got all this knowledge. But I didn't know myself. I didn't know who I was. And I didn't have a sense of self-worth. That's, that's the starting point. Once you know yourself and you understand your sense self is self-worth, because there's very few maxims in, in life, very few absolutes. But one of the maxims is that you treat yourself the way you believe you deserve to be treated. Right? And if you think you're a 3 out of 10, you treat yourself like a 3 out of 10. If you think you're a 10, you treat yourself like a 10. The truth is we're all 10s. We just don't feel like 10s. 
but we're all tens out of tens. We we all deserve love. We all deserve prosperity. We we all deserve this. We don't deserve punishment and scarcity. We don't. Um, but until you figure that piece out, you're fucked. Yeah. You know, you could read all the health self help books in the world. It it won't matter. You know, it won't matter because if you still feel that, that you're a piece of shit, that's how you're going to treat yourself. And that's the only gifts that you will allow into your life. You know, it'll be your choice of women it'll, uh, or spouse, you know, depending on who's listening. Uh, it'll be your choice of relationships, your choice of environment, your choice of activities. Well, is all a direct reflection of how you feel about yourself. You've got to get that piece figured out first so that you understand that you are you're worth more. You're worth more than you give yourself credit for. And if you get that piece figured out, then you can build. I had to start telling myself and, and more importantly, listening to myself when I told myself that I had to take care of everyone in my life I was responsible for. And that started with me. Mm. I had to take care of myself the exact same way as I would take care of my wife and my children. And it wasn't until I started taking care of me as well as I started looking at myself as somebody I'm responsible for taking care of that I was able to begin to think about being kind to me. And to do that, you have to feel that you're worth it, that you deserve, right? Uh, we tend to fall on the sword, don't we? No, we you don't. Because we're the heroes, we're the guys that wore the capes. Self-sacrifice. Yeah, self-sacrifice. So we like to fall on the sword and go, look what a hero I am. I fell on the sword. You know, hey, look at this 80 hours a week I'm working for my family. You know, I'm a fucking hero. That never see me and don't know what I'm like, and I'm always exhausted, so I'm a monster when I come walking back in the door. And yeah. and, and yet, the simple, simple, simple truth is, it's just like every time everybody has ever been on a plane, right? If the oxygen mask drops, you got to put it on yourself first. You got to be selfish. It is your job to be selfish. It is your job it is your responsibility to have self care. And that's tough for me, man. That's fucking tough. Like getting on my motorcycle and it's just me and going do something that's just for me. Fucking eats me up. Still does. Even though I got the best wife in the world who encourages me is like, get your ass out the door. Why was that only an hour? Get the fuck back on your bike and go do it again. Go do another loop. Thank you, honey. Cause I feel like shit because well, I'll tell you why later. I won't do it on air. Um, but I feel like shit and so selfish to, to look after myself. I'm getting better at it, but it's still a struggle to go do something that's just for me. It's so hard. So I get it when, um, but you have to, like you have to do it. You have to look after yourself. You have to have quote unquote me time. You have to, because if you don't look after you, you can't put the oxygen mask on the others. You can't look after that family properly. You can't be present for your children, for your spouse. You can't. If I mean, I'm not talking about being selfish, but you know, to to an extreme. But you have to be selfish enough to, because it's not selfish. It's being responsible. You have to love yourself. You have as to as much as you love everyone else in your life. You have to. Otherwise, no one else in your life gets the full benefit of you. Yeah. Like, if you don't love you first, you really can't love anybody else. No. Not totally. No. Not the way, not unconditionally. That's, that's what love is. Love is unconditional. Well, love is connection, right? Like, this is like the, the theme, like connect. And that's why 
connection is the cure. Disconnection is the pain, right? Because so talking about love, because 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 love is connection, right? It's an emotional connection. It's it's a it's a sense of you can be you, and I fucking accept you. Yeah, one hundred percent, Sheridan. I fucking accept you and those goofy ass suspenders, the whole way, right? <laughs> like I accept you. You do you, and you're perfect. That's acceptance. That's what love is, yeah. right? And um, anything other than that is judgment, and 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 that's disconnection. And to go back with, we can circle back to Old Testament stuff, right? Think about, think about the message that comes from the Old Testament, right? And and the confusion that that that, that comes from that. Here are rules. Let's go to the Big Ten, right? Here are ten rules. So. Your father loves you completely unless you break one of these rules, in which case you'll be punished forever. Yeah. That's not unconditional love. We, we, weeping not, and gnashing of teeth. Right? You wish that he hadn't even been born. Yeah. Right? That's, that's putting conditions on love, which means it's not love. Yeah. Right? And that's the message that we've, obedience. we've been telling, one, or telling our, ourselves as a society for, for millennia. Right? It's a warped and distorted version of, of, of what love is. If you don't meet the standard... You're not lovable. Right? So therefore, I never met standard because I felt emotions, so I was never standard. It wasn't until I, like, I learned that, you know what? These physiological things happening in my body are perfectly normal and natural. God, I'm, I'm just thinking about our PERs. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're using the terminology of PERs, right? Like uh, in basic is where it sticks out the most for me, but it was, it was the same in, uh, in, in battle school. It's uh, standard... Uh, met like so met standard you know and, standard above standard and an excellence or something like that yeah. and then there's below standard Ooh. Ooh. and complete shit bag yeah <laughs> you know i don't think i think that you probably use different uh yeah. nice wording. guy tries hard bottom third yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah yeah and if you're not uh everybody was happy with met you know i was totally happy with it was like i met i met standard fuck yeah <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah. 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 Although I, a, a bit of bragging rights in basic, uh, not that basic matters, battle school matters, but uh, in basic, my boots were the platoon standard. Nice. And in battle school, once again, my boots were the platoon sta- same boots. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I took my time. But the, the rules of polishing your boots translate to life, right? Because... We we're told, at least I, we were told, don't take any shortcuts, don't use parade gloss, don't try to burn shine. If you try to cheat, it's going to blow up in your face, and you'll end up stripping your boots with wire uh, steel wool right down to the leather, and you'll have to rebuild it. We were warned. I listened. Not everyone does. Not everyone does. So I did what they told me: twenty coats of of uh, brush shine before I polish. I'm the only guy that did that. The only one. Because I listened, I believed, I followed the rule. And I'm not really a rule follower, but I'm like, I want to get this right, and I don't want to do it twice. So I sucked it up, and I did the 20 coats of uh, brush shine first, and they were already looking pretty good with 20 coats of brush shine. And then I started the spit polish under a lamp, because that made sense to me, because they look like shit under a lamp. And that's good. You know, that means I'll be extra careful and use lots of spit. And lots of patience. And mine were the platoon standard. Because I did it the slow, 
difficult way, which is what they told me to do. Everybody, the more people cheated, the worse their boots were. So everybody that burn shined or, or used parade gloss, uh, they'd get cracks, you know, and there'd be the, the spider cracks all mm-hmm. over their toes. Yep. And just like they were told, they had to strip them down right to the leather with steel wool and start from scratch. And I just gritting, going, you dumbass. <laughs> I'm a dumbass too. Um, I tried to do it the way I was told to do it. Yeah. But I used to chew tobacco 24-7. And I couldn't figure out why my boots looked like shit. <laughs> what a mystery. <laughs> Weird. I don't have to be smart. I'm pretty. <laughs> yeah. Why are your black boots brown? I don't, I don't fucking know what's going on with my boots. Don't you make my black boots brown. Uh, a little Crystal Gale going on there. Love it. Fuck's sakes. How do people find your book? Uh, you can go on. It's on Amazon. It's the easiest way to find it. Amazon. Not okay. Okay. Sheridan Taylor. Not Taylor Sheridan. I'm not the screenwriter. I didn't write Yellowstone. Don't send me your scripts. Please stop doing that. My name is Sheridan Taylor. The book is called Not Okay. Can I get an okay. audition for Yellowstone? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm getting. Like, you might get some hits off of this just alone. That's my name. Um, I'm going to meet this guy. It's probably the only reason your book's selling. Oh, God, did oh, I just do that to you? Wow. Yeah. No, that's going to be my head the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm an asshole. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, so yeah. I like <laughs> the <laughs> looks on handicapped faces. Oh, oh, God. Dennis Leary. Wow, flashback to, what was that, 92? I'm an asshole. Uh, yeah, the best way, Amazon. Not okay, okay, Sheridan Taylor. It's, yeah, that's the best way to find it. I'm going to put your name in backwards in the hashtags. Nice. Do that. Yeah. Do that. Yeah, um, it'll, it'll be good. Yeah. I wonder if I need to get a website going. Probably a good idea. Ugh. I got a guy. Okay, good. Patricia. Cool. Yeah. All right. Third battalion Patricia at that. Wow. All right. Yeah. Manny. Manny Mandruziak. Definitely a good guy then. Yeah. He's a good dude. I don't care what the neighbors say. Brother, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me, brother. Hope, hope you uh, sell a million bazillion copies of uh, Not Okay. Okay. Appreciate it. And I appreciate you being open. Thanks for having me, brother. All Thank right. You. And listen to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hello, my friends. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you found this episode helpful, healing, or informative, please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share, share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels. Because sharing is caring.